I want to thank Research FDI for sponsoring today's podcast. They're a globally renowned lead generation firm that helps economic development organizations create real prospects. They've helped over 500 economic development organizations. Let me tell you exactly what they do. They facilitate one-on-one meetings for economic developers with corporate executives who will have projects soon. They can facilitate these meetings to where you travel to the corporate executive's office and meet them there or meet them at a trade show or even have a conference call so you don't have to pay for travel. They recently launched a service called FDI 365, which provides you a lead a day of fast-growing companies that will be expanding soon. Their research has helped over $5 billion of projects get cited since inception. I encourage you to go to www.researchfdi.com to learn more about Research FDI. As far as I'm concerned, they are absolutely the best lead generation firm in the business for economic developers. Call them now at 514-488-3618 and see how Research FDI can help you create real prospects. Hello, this is Chad Chancellor with Next Move Group. Before we begin today's podcast, if you've been enjoying our podcast series, please go over to Apple Podcasts, leave us a five-star review. That'll sure help us out. We'd appreciate it a whole lot. Welcome to this week's episode of the Next Move Group. We are Jobs Podcast. This is Chad Chancellor, co-founder of Next Move Group. Today we've got Joe Max Higgins with us from the Golden Triangle Link up in the Columbus, Mississippi area. And uh, many of you will recognize Joe Max. He was featured on 60 Minutes. We're actually going to put the 60 Minutes feature on him within our email blast that goes out today. But he was featured on 60 Minutes several years ago about all the tremendous success he's had in the Golden Triangle region of Mississippi. So we're going to take a deep dive with him today, sort of a bio type episode. These are normally our episodes and only our movement members get to hear as far as actually getting in-depth bios with people. So last week we had uh, David Rumbarger on here from Tupelo, Mississippi. We've had Bill Sisson before with the Mobile, Alabama chamber and today we've got Joe Max Higgins. So in these episodes we really talk to economic developers who have achieved great successes to understand what makes them tick, what their story is. And as far as I know, Joe Max Higgins is the only economic developer to ever be on 60 Minutes. So that being said, Joe Max, let's welcome you into our show. Thank you, Chad. I'm glad to be with you. I think you're the only economic developer ever been on 60 Minutes. You may know if anybody else has. You think you're the only one? I, I think as far as I know, I am. I don't know if it's good or bad. <laughs> maybe maybe you run the profession. They said, we don't want any more like that. Huh? <laughs> For those of you out there who haven't watched Joe Max's show, just Google Joe Max Higgins 60 Minutes. It'll inspire you. I've used it to inspire a whole lot of elected officials. So, Joe Max, walk us back to how you first stumbled into this world of economic development. What made you interested in it? Well, you know, I, Chad, I, I, I was on the seven-year plan in college, so I went to I got out of high school. I went to Arkansas State, and I majored in Lamb Mackay for two years. And my daddy <laughs> said, college ain't for everybody. I then went offshore and worked on a production platform for a couple of years and, and then went back and finished school. When I did, I, I worked at a planning and development district for a little while. And then I worked for a civil engineering firm doing marketing and putting deals together. And I actually thought that was going to be my career, and they were going to name me a partner. They had one partner leaving, and they kind of they kind of delayed that. And I left on what I call a pissed off. There was a job in uh, Clarksville, Arkansas, 
and I applied for it and, uh, and I got that job. So I went from being a support staffer for economic development to be running a, a program in a, in a community in a county in, in, in Arkansas. Well, it's interesting. So you got your start though with engineering firm. I was talking to Tim Weston this morning, as you know, with Jesco Construction. And he said, I told him I was interviewing you today. And he said that he thought what made you the best is you've got an engineering thought with stuff. I mean, you prepare your sites like an engineer. You don't just market or you don't just talk incentives. You actually understand development, if that makes any sense. I think it is how we look at it. I, you know, there's a lot more, there's a lot of people in this business that have strengths and weaknesses and, and what they do best. And, and I've always called myself a dirt guy, knowing about the water, the sewer, the railroads, how they interact, how they work, what you got to do to develop a site. And, and I think that six years, six and a half years I spent at Bond Engineering years ago helped me. And it helped me ask the hard questions for my engineers. It helped me understand timelines on what things have to be done. And, and you know, I worry that a lot of our younger economic developers, they're not exposed to that. and They don't have any idea about how it works. They can put together a real good infographic, but they don't really understand how the nuts and bolts work. Right. Well, how'd you first make your way to Mississippi? I ran a consulting firm. I did incentive negotiations and lobbying, and I also ran the Paragol Green County Chamber of Commerce and Economic Development. I, I was spinning a lot of plates, kind of busy, and one night, one afternoon, I got a call from Joan Jorgensen, and she said, I got a job for you in Mississippi that I want you to look at. And I said, lady, you got to be kidding me. I said, I see poverty, despair, no future, no hope for future. There ain't no way in hell I'm going to Mississippi. And I hung up on it. That night, I was in my home office, and I started looking up Columbus and the GTR region. The next night, I did the same thing. For about three nights, all I did was look up stuff. And I called her, and I said, you know, I've kind of figured out if man could build it or God could give it to you, these guys are in better shape than most places I've seen. And she said, oh, you're, you're interested in the job now? And I said, I don't know if I'm interested in the job, but it sure is intriguing. And so I guess the rest is history. Well, and, and talk about that area. So I went to Mississippi State, which is part of that area. So tell our listeners all around the country, really, what makes the Golden Triangle area unique? Well, what, what I was looking at is they, they, had a, they had a real good highway network, east, west, north, south. They had Mississippi State University and Mississippi University for Women, two four-year colleges had a, a very good community college for workforce, but they had a lot of big land, had port facilities on the 10 Tom waterway, had Tennessee Valley authority provided the electricity. So, you know, you just started checking boxes, you know, check, check, check. And, and finally we, we came to the conclusion that, you know, the, maybe the reason that they weren't getting where they needed to be, they didn't have a plan. So when you got there, that was the first thing you did was figure out how to tie all that. Cause they had all these assets, but, but what do you think you were able to bring to tie it all together that they had missed out on in the past? I came in the summer of 2003. In the fall of 2003, we were working uh, two projects. One was a charcoal briquette manufacturer. Kingsford was looking for a location to make charcoal briquettes. Bruce Foods, which invented the Cajun injector and owns Louisiana hot sauce, was looking for a new place for a sweet potato plant. And those were the two projects we worked. You know, when I came here, I thought we were going to hit a single we might hit a double, you know, two or three or four years. And, and, and like we do in community college and college coaching is, is move up and get a bigger team and a better program. You know, we were working those what I call singles and, and, and really singles, trying to put them together. And that's when TVA came out with that megasite program. Mm -hmm. And that's what kind of transformed us and, and got us on our way to going. I mean, the next year we had certified the first TVA, the first TVA megasite and and within a period of months had gotten somebody to go on. 
we followed it up with a second megasite, a third megasite, and now a fourth megasite. And uh, three of the four are occupied with Yokohama, uh, Pack Car, and, and Steel Dynamics. And we've got somebody looking pretty hard at the fourth one right now. So you've hit a whole bunch of home runs. What was the first home run you hit there that kind of put you on the map? The steel mill, you know, that was supposed to be a $625, $650 million project on the first mega site, a steel mini mill that John Carini and his team were putting together. It ended up going over budget and not being a $600 million project, but being a billion dollar project. And today we're out there commissioning equipment right now at the steel mill for the fourth expansion that will take the capital investment uh, out there in excess of $2 billion since they came. Wow. That's a nice problem from $600 million announcement. Uh. <laughs> yeah, and, and look, we, we, we incentivized it at $625 million. We papered it that we were going to be able to pay for our local incentives and, and put about a, a couple of hundred million, a couple hundred thousand dollars a year in the bank net profit. When they missed their number, that number went from about a million to about a million two a year. So we sat down with our elected officials and said, look, we've been given a godsend. We've been given a gift. Here's a million, million two a year. Let's don't shoot that up our arm. Let's don't smoke it in a pipe. Let's don't drink it out of a sack. Let's plow that back into land, roads, railroads, and capital improvements that will help us continue to grow. And that was our first fee-in-lieu project. We've done about 12 since then. And every one of those, we buy land and, and, and build infrastructure as part of the project and just kind of, kind of snowball it, kind of like rich people get richer. So, yeah. you know, the first mega site we had under option, we found somebody to take it. The second mega site we had it under option, we found somebody to take it. The third mega site we had had it under option, found somebody to take it. This mega site is 1,400 acres. We own it outright. All the water, all the sewer are done. We're out there finalizing the road right now. So everything is there and it's, it, it's all paid for. And it's paid for by the windfalls of the deals we've done previously. Well, you talked on the 60 Minutes show about winning the helicopter plant and how you thought psychologically that really affected folks. And having been raised in rural Mississippi, I understood exactly what you meant because you said we're now building stuff that can fly. You talked about how that helped just the average Joe citizen think more of themselves. So talk through how important that project was. I think as a region, I think sometimes as a state, we didn't have the self-esteem. I don't know if any state has the self-esteem that Texas has, right? Uh, they're, they're righteously indignant all the time. But, but I don't think we had the self-esteem. I think there'd been a lot of industry here, but it was what I call cut and sew, clip and snip, widget and squidget type companies, you know, piecemeal type stuff. And, and, and when, you go for, when you leave that arena and then go to something that flies, that has human beings in it that flies, that, that isn't a, a half-ass helicopter. It, it's arguably the world's greatest helicopter at least the second largest aerospace manufacturer in, in the world in, in Airbus Eurocopter. Starting to make a product like that and fly it out of there. I, I, I tell people in my, my speech tours, I said, you know, we started walking a little bit more upright when we got that project. Mm -hmm. Who'd you beat for that project? Well, that, that was, you know, that was a nationwide search looking at a, at a whole lot of places. And uh, I think eventually kind of honed in on the South and, and was actually looking at all of Mississippi. And, you know, there was a, a team here that, put together, uh, worked hard with Senator Wicker was the congressman at that time. And we worked real close with him because it's so defense dependent, or it was at least at that time, still is, but probably more so at that point. You know, it was a, it was a team effort. Well, you've kind of done everything there is in economic development from hitting the singles and doubles to a bunch of home runs to being on a speaking tour. So what gets you up now excited every morning? What, what do you love about what you're doing? 
I'll be 60 years old in, in, in October. I got five more years left on my contract here before I go to the house. And, and it's the same thing that got me excited when I first started the business. It's winning a deal. You know, I, I, I tell people that, you know, if you're an economic developer and you haven't had much success, this won't matter. But if, but if you have had some success, I think people will understand it. It's kind of like a crackhead. You know, you, know, you say, just give me one rock and I'll be good. Well, guess what? You, then you need another one and then another one, need another one. And quite frankly, with what we built here in the Golden Triangle, the expectation is that we'll have more bigger deals. And we've almost created a beast that needs to be fed. Every day I get up and it's my job to feed the beast and, and to, to win the deal. I, I've got a new staffer that started this morning and we were talking and he said, talked about jobs. And I said, I'm, you know, I'm not so much hip on the jobs. The jobs are okay. I said, I'm always looking at the CapEx because if you can get a high CapEx, the rest of it will take care of itself. The rate of pay, the number of jobs, the investment, the taxes that'll be generated. I said, you go after a big high CapEx project, you'll probably improve your position. Well, what I have noticed about the most successful economic developers, particularly in the small to mid-sized towns, they are tenacious. I don't know any other way to, to put it. I mean, and you can't really tell somebody how to do it, but talk about just the tenacity it takes to get a deal from third base to home plate. A lot of people get to third base, but they can't knock the run in. Talk no, about I, that. I, I just don't think they realize. I mean, and you go back to being in high school and, and stuff, it, it's the second part of the two a days. It's late in the afternoon, your ass is beat, you're worn out, and you still got to grind it out. And I think so many people think, well, they'll, they, they, I call it playing project. They'll work at it. They'll, they want to tell everybody what they're doing, but they're not sitting at the house doing spreadsheets at night and doing sourcing use of funds and trying to figure out the angle. Chad, there's no telling how many newspapers I subscribe to. I read planning and zoning uh, minutes of towns we're competing against. I, I look at their city council agendas. I read them. I try to find out who we're competing with. You know, the 60-minute deal talks about tracking tales of, of, of airplanes. You know, I, I carry with me at all times three burner phones, always very codes from other areas so I can do intelligence. You'll be, you'll be amazed at what people will tell you at the mayor's office if you just call and ask them. Yeah, well, well, how did the 60 Minutes deal come about? Well, first of all, the Atlantic Magazine did about 14 articles on us over a, a period of time, not just us, but Math and Science School here, Mississippi State University, a lot of what the link did, and, and I, that got picked up, and then PBS did a special on us, and then there was a book written uh, called American Futures, I think it is, and Brenda and I were featured in that, and then 60 Minutes, they were kind of like late to the party. They, they came after that, and... You know, to be honest with you, Chad, you know me well enough to know, I, I, you know, I, I'm a fun-loving guy, and I have a lot of fun with my friends and the people around me. And one day the girls, you know, buzzed me and said, uh, 60 Minutes is on the phone. Well, the first <laughs> thing I thought is, well, you know, that's, that's yeah. one of my buddies. <laughs> so I picked up the phone, and I won't tell you how I answered it, but it included the word F. And I said, what do you want? And they said, well, we're so-and-so with 60 Minutes, and we want to do a story on the Golden Triangle. I said, I bet you do. I bet you do. I said, I bet you're going to do a story about the flag, aren't you? You're going to do a story oh. about the flag. No, 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 we're not going to do a story about the Oh, you're going to do a story about us being fat, dumb, and stupid. I get it. I get it. Okay. No, 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 no. I said, well, that story's already been told. I said, and, and, and the more they talked, the more I figured out it was not one of my buddies and not one of my buddy's friends put up to something. <laughs> and about... 15, 20 minutes in the conversation, I, I figured out I was really talking to a producer at 60 Minutes. <laughs> and uh, they said, we want to come do a story about how a small town in the rural south is beating the odds and, and winning. And uh, we want to come do a story on that. Would you be interested? I said, sure. 
and three or four days later they were on the ground for about three or four days and they said we're going to do a story they told me when they were going to be here and i said well wait a minute i've got to get everything set up and they said oh you don't have to do anything we're 60 minutes hmm. and i walked in the mill at mississippi state university uh, the convention center over there right across the street from campus and they had transformed that into a production studio that was unreal cameras uh screens and all that and they were here I, I i was i think i was under mike and camera for 140 hours from about march to about september whenever that south carolina game was that, that was on there is on and off how much we were they were here and we were on mike and, and on camera I want to thank Location One. Some folks know it as Lois for sponsoring today's podcast. Location One has, in my opinion, the best building and sites database in the economic development industry. I am often asked by economic developers, Chad, if you were an economic developer again, what would be the first thing you'd do? And it is without question, without question, first thing I'd do would be put my builders and sites on Lois. And let me tell you why that would be. Number one, I always did economic development in small to mid-sized towns, and one of our struggles was just getting eyeballs on our properties. That was our struggle. Lois overcomes that struggle for you. So the mistake I used to make is I would just put my buildings and sites on the state economic development database. Well, every time I did economic development, I was close to a border. So I was basically bordered another state. And anybody looking for buildings just across the way in the other state wouldn't find my buildings because I only had it on my state economic development website. I couldn't have made a dumber move looking back, but hey, it's what I did. When you advertise your buildings and sites on Lois, it goes to a nationwide database. So prospects looking for a certain site or certain building in the whole country can find you based on the parameters they put in. If they're looking at a radius, they're probably going to find you if they're looking in the state next door if your building or site is on Lois. It's also the most responsive friendly I have seen. So I love looking at buildings and sites on my iPad. I much rather look on my iPad when we're doing site selection work in the field than on my computer. Computer. And I have found Lois is basically the only big buildings and sites database I've found that works well on my iPad. A lot of the other ones, they just don't work as well. They tear the thing down. They don't remember your, your search query. If you put in 50,000 feet and you back it out, it forgets it. They're just hard to deal with. Lois is not. It's easy to use. It's just as easy for economic developers as it is site selectors. It walks you through inserting your information. So it tells you, place your gas line information here. Place your water line information here so you don't have to guess. You don't have to know code to make this thing work. But most importantly, once you push save, once you enter your information, it's going to go on a nationwide database, which is going to get a ton, a ton of eyeballs on your builders and sites. Way more than you'd get on them on your own if you just put it on your website or advertise it on the state economic development website. It also inputs ESRI data for radiuses of your buildings and sites. So a prospect's not just looking at a building or site when they find your information. They can actually see information about your labor force. You don't even have to put it in there. It does it for you automatically. This is the best buildings and sites database I have found. I encourage you to go to location1.com, sign up for a demo, see how this thing works. Transition to location one. You'll be real happy you did. Well, I have used it over and over again, especially as we do these executive searches. We always meet with the board chairman and mayors of these towns, and they'll say, I can't understand why we haven't been winning. I'll say, watch this, 
and then tell me if you think you don't know why you've been winning. And, and it's about 15 minutes. So, so I, I've contributed about a thousand of the views on YouTube. I matches. Walk us back when you were a little boy, 10 years old. What did you want to be when you grew up? You know, probably like every other kid, 10 years old, I, I thought I was going to be a professional football player or professional basketball player. Obviously, uh, I probably reached my maximum height by 10. I, I hadn't reached my maximum weight by then. But, but thought I probably wanted to do that. I don't know that I decided that I wanted to be an economic developer. I don't, you know, I think when I, when I got out of college and started working for the engineering firm, that's when I really found out that's what I wanted to be. But it, at 10, you know, 11, 12 years old, I was, you know, riding my bicycle, playing ball and didn't really have a plan. Understand this. I didn't have a plan when I went to college. Mm-hmm. You know, that's why it took me seven years to get out. You know, I went two years and got out and worked for the oil company for two, about two and a half years and then went back and finished. So, my light didn't go off till I was about 27 years old, Chad. And do you approach everything? Because you talk a lot like a football coach. Do you approach everything that way, or is it just something about economic development that you see the similarities in? No, no, it, it's life, you know. I, I think that's life. I mean, you know, my license plate on my car is 2-E-Q-L-A-S-T. That stands for second equals last. You know, I worry that in today's age that we're not conditioning kids that – you know, not everybody gets a trophy. Not everybody wins. The way you win is to tear everybody else's face off. That's true in football, but that's true in life, I believe. You know, I mean, I believe you can have win-win-win situations. I strive for that every day. But at the end of the, at the, end of the day, the site selections that are bringing those projects are going to pick one place, only one. Mm-hmm. And you've got to condition and do everything you can do to win that deal and to figure out every angle, every option, giving them flexibility. We've got one right now that we're in the final three for. We're going to make a decision by the end of the month, and we're going to have a call with them at 930 in the morning. We're going to put something else on the table, not more money, not more incentive, just something unique that we have found out that we have twisted our deal just to make it a little bit better. So you're constantly trying to make it better. I mean, you never, you never, you always, you talk about game planning on the 60 minutes. So you talk about watching film. Is that what you're talking about? Yeah, well, well, watching I call watching film, reading somebody else's planning and zoning minutes to to find out where their side is. You know, uh, 60 Minutes talks about me getting on my motorcycle and going up to Jonesboro, near where I'm from. On that project, I knew we were we were a million dollars a year off on Avalon taxes and on power rates. Jonesboro utilities had good rates, and and they were beating us. And the problem is, Packcar wanted 32 megawatts of capacity in the in the bays ready to go, but they were only going to commit to buy 16. Hmm. Our power company said, well, we'll build 32, but we'll have to charge you a facilities charge for the 32. That was, that was part of the reason we were off for that, for that investment that was being made that they weren't using right then. So I sat down with our attorneys and I said, can we take county money and pay for that? And they said, well, yeah, we can write it in the law and you can do that in the incentives. I said, okay. And I went to the supervisors and I said, look, we can get this power rate down if, if you put half the money in for the power station went to the power company and I said, you don't have to charge facilities charge if somebody pays for it. And they said, that's right. So we paid half the cost of that, of that power station, of that substation for pack car and reduced their facilities charge and then made a slight adjustment to the taxes on Avalorum that we could do. And I don't know that we closed the million dollar gap, but we got it close enough that we won. Right. Well, who's really been the biggest influence on your career? Is there one person or just that engineering job you had with that engineering firm? Or There's a lot of people. There's a, you, you can't say it's one person. But if you, had to, if you had to say what one person at Bond Engineering where I worked, there was Cy Bond, there was Dennis Sorrell, and there was Jerome Alford. Those were the three principals in the firm. 
Jerome had a master's from Johns Hopkins, did square roots in his head, but he also won Memphis in May whole hog and pork and shoulders and ribs. I mean, he's truly a renaissance man. I would go in and ask him a question and he would say, sit down. And he would say, get your calculator out. And he never would tell me or Jack Bond the answer to the question. He would make us figure out the answer to the question. He's the guy that taught me how to flow chart in my mind. If this, then this. If not this, then this. That ability to flow chart in your mind, standing on your feet, working a deal is irreplaceable. You, you can't replace that skill if you can ever develop it. And I wouldn't have it today if it weren't for Jerome Offer. I'll tell you how close he is to me. My father passed away three years ago this month when my daughter got married a little over a year ago. Jerome Offer sat in my daddy's chair at the wedding. Wow. Wow. Well, do you have any habits that you do every day that people don't even see that you think help make you successful? It's just part of your routine? Every night you'll find me probably with a, with a glass of scotch and my iPad out and I will be looking at other towns, looking at projects. If we're working a deal, doing research on towns that we're working against. And I'll usually do that till 10 or 10.30 at night. My wife's watching some murder show or some whodunit and I'm sitting in the chair and she'll say, what about that? And I say, I, maybe I'm reading this. I hadn't, I'm not paying attention. But watching game film, looking at the competition is probably where I spend most of my time that I think is makes me as productive as I've been. Well, an old saying, if you enjoy what you're doing, it's not really work. So it sounds like that's what you literally enjoy to do every day. I do. I do. And I, if I'm driving somewhere and it's a, it's a happening town, you know, I'm going to get off the road. I'm going to go to the industrial park. I'm going to ride around. You know, I don't have my motorcycle anymore, but when I had it, it was not uncommon for me to put a do-rag on, a sleeveless shirt, and ride up into a town and, and stop at a barbecue joint and just talk to them. Mm-hmm. You know, hey, what's going on in your town? Oh, man, our school sucks. Oh, really? Why? You know, <laughs> and just, just tell me more. Tell me more. Tell me more. I've done that in about, a I don't know, five or six state area. You, you will be amazed at what people will tell you at the gas stations, at the barbecue joints. And, you, and like I said earlier, you, you'll be amazed. And if you pick up a burner phone and, and call the Chamber of Commerce or the mayor's office, what you'll find out. I, I'll tell you a funny story. Years ago, when I was in Arkansas, we were working Ashley Furniture, and I was in Clarksville, Arkansas, working Ashley Furniture. We were looking at Malvern, Arkansas, Monroe, Louisiana, and us. And Monroe had a big building. I took one of the guys that worked for the state of Arkansas, and we went down there, and we went to look at that building. And it was an old food grocery distribution building. And some of the bays were open. It was being used for partial tenants when they're storing stuff. And we stuck our head in and the guy said, you want to come in and look? And I said, yeah. So we went in and we walked around the building and I said, how much they want for this? He said, I don't know, but if you go to the chamber office, they've got a package on it. And I said, wonder what, what it appraised for. And he said, oh, you can get that from the appraisal. We went to the appraiser's office and got a copy of the appraisal, went to the chamber's office, got everything that they were giving us. And, and walked out of there knowing we really didn't have any competition. About two years later, I was at a school, and the girl that worked for the Washita Enterprise Group looked at me. She said, you look familiar. And I said, I, yeah, I remember you. And I told her who I was and what we, what we had done, and she was mad as shit. <laughs> well, Joe Max, the problem I used to have when I was an economic developer is folks would just want to talk to me. I mean, either the elected officials or folks would just walk in, and my office was kind of in a public spot. And, and you know, there's sometimes you got to sit down and work, and you got to concentrate. And so how do you manage your time? Do you block off certain hours a day and just tell your folks nobody come talk to me, or how do you just handle that? 
Well, mostly my, my blocked off times that early in the morning, about six o'clock in the morning, start doing stuff. And sometimes I don't get here till nine, but I've already got, you know, like my phone calls returned from the day before, got my work done. Occasionally a, the sign does go up on the door, do not knock, do not come in. Nobody's invited. And they, when we do that, they understand that. That's generally when we're in the final stages of crunching. But we try to be accessible to our public officials, answer the phone calls and be there when they need us because, you know, they got people asking them questions and they need to know, they need to know right. some information to be able to tell them. Otherwise, it, if you do a lot of this stuff and you don't let anybody ever know what you're doing, some people think you might be sitting on your ass not doing nothing. Yeah. You got to show them what you're doing and help them understand. We'll bring them in. We'll put the source and use of funds up. We'll put our tax modeling up. We'll walk them through it. You know, quite frankly, once somebody set through one of those, they tend to understand that we're playing big boy ball here and we're playing for keeps. And I got a $400 lawyer that we work the ass off of. I've got engineers that we spend a lot of money with to get the right answers. Because here's the thing. So many of these places will say, well, we think we can build your building for $50 a square foot, or we think we can build this rail fur for X dollars. And then they, they get real deep into the project and find out that number's not good. We don't do that. We do engineer takeoffs, detailed cost estimates, letters of descriptions, all that stuff of what we're going to do prior to submitting. So it's not uncommon for us to spend anywhere from 50 to 150 to 200 grand on a project just in development. When we get to that point, all the work's been done. On June 4th, Next Move Group launched a new initiative called The Movement, which is really designed to do three different things. One, help economic developers improve their quality of lives by making more money. Two, helping economic development organizations land more deals. And three, by helping economic development organizations recruit jobs back home from China. You have probably seen emails of various different video courses that were sent out as part of the movement. And I'll tell you so far, the two most popular courses have been these. One, board training for economic development board members and elected officials. What are their proper roles and responsibilities? And more importantly, what their roles and responsibilities are not. And our other bestseller so far has been how to help small to mid-sized rural communities build a systemic machine-like program to land manufacturing plants, where they don't just land one manufacturing plant, but where they land many manufacturing plants. We are selling these just one right after the next. So one, thank you. We have actually sold about 300% more memberships and revenue than we anticipated we would sell at this point in time. So thank you to all of our members. If you've not joined the movement, go to thenextmovegroup.com backslash movement to learn more about it. Thenextmovegroup.com backslash movement. You can either join on a monthly basis and receive all our content at once, or you can just buy one piece of content at a time. That's thenextmovegroup.com backslash movement. And how do you know, everybody talks about targeting industry, but I think you really know what to go after. How do you know, is it just a gut feel? How do you know what, what makes sense for your town? What's going to add to it or whatnot? First of all, you know, we bat real good on the big deals. I mean, we've got a success rate on big deals or really, really landing those. Hadn't run our numbers in a while, but last, last time I ran, we were batting 444 on big deals. On the other deals, we're, we're at about 225, 250. And that's, that's not bad, but not great but we look at who it is what it is how it fits what we do we're good at steel we're good at metals we're good at aerospace we're not really a distribution spot you know we're paper for that industry but we try to look at the company and what's here 
and what we've got to grow the area and figure it out and, and steel metals airspace. Now, I will tell you this, since we got so much power, we're spending a lot of time on right now are these hyper data centers and we've got several that we're working. But some of these things that we've modeled, some of them are asking for three, four, 500 megawatts of power. And most places can't do that. You know, fortunately, we've got TVA here and we're in a good area with them and, and we can, you know, it's not hard for us to serve 100 or 200 or 300 megawatts. As a matter of fact, one of them modeled the other day, asked TVA to model it at a gigawatt. I've never even heard of that at mm. a gig. We try to look at water, sewer, electricity, and big land. We've got all those things and the types of projects that want to go on those. Now, the other thing, since we're rural and small, you know, at about 500 jobs, that's, that's going to be about the top of the top of the food chain of what I think we can bring in and support. You know, Yokohama was 500 jobs. The steel mill was 650 jobs. Fat car was 500 jobs. Airbus is about 500. Those, those size projects are our sweet spot. You know, if you came and said, we got a 3,000 job industry looking at the Golden Triangle, I'd say, hey, we're going to pass because we can't do it justice. The company wouldn't be happy and we wouldn't be happy. Right. What do you think are three or four adjectives that you would use to describe, to tell young folks trying to advance up the ladder they need to have in them to be good at this? Well, I think you got to be a self-starter for sure. You know, I think you, I think you got to be, you said earlier, uh, tenacious. I think you need to be smart. I think you need to be savvy. All of those. You're structuring these deals. You're having use of the taxpayer's money. You want to show a positive return on what you're doing. You really, 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 you know, if, if you can build up the reputation that what you're doing is creating jobs, opportunity, investment, and looking after taxpayers' dollars. You know, I've been here since 2003, since so about 17 years. I've been here 17 years, and the most money we've ever lost on any of the deals we've done is $35,000. Mm. Now, the state got hosed on Keor. They lost about, with interest, about $95 million, but we, we net profited about between 3 and $4 million on that deal. But to handle the amount of volume of deals we've done, remember, we've, we've landed almost $7 billion of projects and only have lost $35,000. And that was one month's payment on one building. You know, that takes some savvy, that takes some luck, that takes a whole lot of stuff. But it also, you have to have the confidence to walk away from something if you don't think it's good or right, not just do it to be doing it, just a notch in your belt. You have any regrets along the way you wish you could do over? Oh, you know, every day, you know, mostly in my personal life than my business life. But yeah, it, yeah, there's regrets every day about maybe how you structured a deal or maybe you didn't do this or maybe you should have done that. Every single project you have regrets, those you win and those you lose. Well, I tell our staff, we learn more from losing. I mean, I, I won't always be competing because when you lose, you learn. If you got any sense about you and you ask and you ask the person, you can learn a whole lot from that. And what we try to do, whether we win or lose, we try to bring that, that company back or we go see them or we at least get on the phone with them and say, tell us what you liked, what you didn't like, all that kind of stuff. And, and not just, just say, okay, fine, 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 incorporate it in the next deal. Well, in these 10 years or so from now, when you ride off to the beach or wherever you're going to go, how do you want folks to remember Joe Max Higgins? You know, I, I tell them here, I don't, I don't want a road named after me. I don't want, you know an industrial park named after me. I think when you're done, you're done. You know, it's next man up. And, and that's what I'm trying to do right now is, you know, I've been here 17 years. I'm on my third core group of training, core group of training. If you ask me how you want to be remembered, Chad, I would like to be remembered by the coaching tree that I helped create 
much like Jerome Alford trained me and schooled me and helped me. Since I've been here, one of my people has left and is vice president at West Memphis. I've got another one that's the CEO in Monroe County, Mississippi. Joey Neeson is the CEO at Madison County. I've had a bunch of young interns that have walked through here. Will West, that worked for me for five years as an intern, is now a regional field rep for TVA. That's how I, I think if you ask me how I would want to be remembered, that's how I'd want to be remembered is all the people that are, that are prominent in economic development and are successful now and more so in the future had our fingerprints on them. That would be the, that would be the deal. Now, the inside joke that I tell the staff is, you know, when I ride off in the sunset or die, go ahead and, and cremate me, sprinkle me over the industrial parks that we've helped to create, and go over and see if you can get me a damn honorary PhD from Mississippi State. I think that'd make my day. That would. I'll come see you when I'm going to the ball game every Saturday. As we wind down, anything you'd want to share with our listeners I might not have asked you? No, I think, Chad, I want to tell you something. I want to compliment you. You're one of the good young guys. You've got the enthusiasm. You are. I, I'm not sure. How old are you, Chad? 38. I'm 59. I'm not sure my generation has done all we could do to further our practice for the next generation. I think what you're doing in your podcast, in your education stuff, you know, you got your site selection, you got your, your headhunting business, but I, but I think you're giving back to the industry and I think you're helping make people smarter about what they do. I don't think my generation in economic development did that good a job and I want to thank you for what you're doing for your generation and the ones behind you. Well, thank you. I appreciate it very much. I was trained in Mobile before the recession hit, and so we had a different project every day, I tell people. And I was a little redneck from Waynesboro, Mississippi. But we'd have Airbus there one day and Krupp German steel mill the next, and Austell, Australian shipbuilding, and it just something, something went off. And uh, as we've been doing these executive searches, we actually talked internally, and I said, the younger folks need some real-world training. And, and I just got real lucky that I got hired in Mobile when I did. And so we're trying to just learn some of the stuff I learned. And some of this stuff, as you know, you don't learn unless you're sitting in the middle of a big project. And when I was in Mobile, I was a grunt worker. I didn't do any of the work, but I got to sit there and listen at it. And now we're trying to share that because we'll interview young kids. I say kids, you know, they'll be 35 and everything they talk about is academic and none of it's real world stuff. And then they don't get the job. And, you know, we've done so many of these searches now. I see it over and over. So we're trying to really give back. Real world stuff, stuff you're not going to learn from reading a textbook. Yeah. Well, you know, basic stuff. I mean, when I went to work for Jerome, he said, first thing you need to do, any project, you know, you're going to be building, you got to have a source and use of funds. I said, well, I don't even know what that is. He said, well, that's where the money's coming from, what you're spending it on. Yeah. And you can take a source and use of funds on one page and write 200, 300-page MOU from that if you do it right. Yeah, that's right. Well, Joe Max, thank you for spending a few minutes with us. All right, my brother.